we gotta we we gotta watch these Sunday recordings. We are off our game today. We, I don't know if it's because it's a Sunday, but we are just we're struggling. This is the AT Banter Podcast, a balanced and entertaining look at assistive technology, accessibility, and its importance in people's lives. Join Rob Minot, Ryan Fleury, and Steve Barclay as they banter with people around the world about anything and everything regarding assistive technology and the disability community. Now, on with the show. Hey, and welcome to yet another episode of AT Banter. Banter, banter. I am Rob Minot. And joining me today is Ryan Flurry. Howdy. And uh, no Steve Barkley today. He is uh, off today. And uh, we don't even have... Oh, we do. Oh, excellent. I was going to say we don't even have Mr. Cowbell. <laughs> Clearly we do. Mr. Blind Cowbell, guy had to find it. <laughs> Mr. Cowbell sitting in as well. I, I, I think he's, he's easily taking over as people's <laughs> favorite host. Well, it, it it probably wouldn't be that hard. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> Cowbell can easily yeah, think us replace any one of us. Yes. Uh, how you doing? Uh, I'm doing all right for a Saturday. Oh, it's a Sunday actually. I don't know where the weekend went. Yeah, tell me about it. I need like a four day weekend. Oh, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, hey, guess what? What? Uh, we got an email. Woohoo! Yeah, yeah. This is very exciting. Uh, we let me let me pull it up here. This is hot off the presses. Twenty one minutes ago, we got this. Wow! And it is from uh, Bob from Newcastle, Ontario. Shout out to Bob. Shout out. Uh, and it goes a little something like this. Hi guys, I love your program. I'm new to podcast and yours, as others, have cost me a bunch of money in the past year <laughs> as I learn about the great technology that's out there. Sorry, Bob. <laughs> I'm probably one of your more mature followers. I wrote mostly COBOL programs for system slash 360 mainframes in the late 60s and early 70s. I got my first personal PC using the screen reader Vert in 1982. Obviously, the mind boggles with what's happening today. Yep. I wanted to share a thought or two about a couple products. First, the Google Home absolutely blows me away with its ease of use and its utility value. Something that I haven't heard said is its potential contribution to literacy. That's a very good point. As I read daily newspapers and many talking books, Google is beside me to enlighten me or verify the definition of words which I often encounter and sort of understand, but not to the extent that I would chance using them. Also, it enables me to verify spelling even when it's only a matter of curiosity or a test of my memory from back in the days when I could read print. Hooray for Google. Another product for which I have only praise is my Victor Reader Stream, which I've been using for the past three or four years. Over the past decade or more, I've purchased and used all versions of Victor Readers, Trekker, and Trekker Breeze. More recently, I was among the first to pre-order the Reader Trek. 
My first gripe is that Humanware, a Canadian company, offered it at an introductory price of five ninety nine US. In Canada, the introductory price was seven ninety five. The currency conversion is less than seven fifty Canadian. Doesn't seem fair to me, but I bought one anyways. Uh, yeah, that does seem weird to me. Why did Humanware do that? Is that I guess maybe brokerage or bringing it over to the border? There's a cost or. There's probably a cost getting it shipped from wherever they're manufacturing it because I don't know. I don't think they're doing their own manufacturing. Uh, yeah, see, so, I don't know. We Canadians, we always get screwed. We get screwed yep. somehow. There's always a there's always an extra, extra cost. Uh, anyways, he goes on. I received the unit on or about December eighth, and soon found that it would not create a motorized turn by turn route. I contacted Humanware for help, and the tech was unable to solve the problem. He needed to consult at another level and get back to me. He didn't. A week later, I called back and was advised there was a glitch in the software and that I needed to sit tight until an update was available. Uh, to date, it hasn't happened. Interesting. Have you heard anything about this, Ryan? Yes. There's a batch of Victor Reader treks that are basically on hold right now that people have ordered, um, I think, even prior to December until the next update comes out and it's currently being worked on but the availability from my understanding is end of january first week of february interesting i i kind of heard rumblings that there was there were some people that that hadn't got theirs yet and there was a bit of a delay and so i guess that explains it yep so you know um i guess the best you can do is you know like they said sit tight and wait and once the update does come out, it should be an excellent experience as, you know, they have a, an excellent past, um, track record. Yes. Well, he, he does he does go on to say, I can live for a while without the ability to create a motorized route, but one would almost expect that a, hu- a company like Humanware, with its previous ex- experience with GPS navigation, would be able to release a product that performs as advertised, especially at a price of $800 for a device that can only do a fraction of what a similarly priced smartphone can do. Yes, I understand what economies of scale mean when it comes to products for the blind, but I am nevertheless disappointed. So much for the gripe. I trust it will get sorted out. In the meantime, I'll continue listening to your good-humored repartee, try to get up to speed, and learn new ways in which to reduce my pile of gold. Uh, Excellent. Thanks so much for the uh, email, Bob. Yeah, and he's got a lot of good points, you know, talking about using your Google Assistant to spell out words for you or, you know, translate text from one language to another, you know, does allow people with, you know, I guess some degree of learning disabilities or even just to have clarification done, um, you know, access to a lot more information that you may not be able to find using your computer you may not just have the computer skills to do that but i think we do have to be careful too you know it it is an assistant it is going out to google servers and it isn't the end all be all so you, you do have to be careful i think but there are definitely things it can do that are making life a lot simpler for people yeah, and I think that, that that list of things that it can do is only going to grow both as the the functionality of the unit is improved upon by, you know, updates. Um, but also I think that just people are going to be, are, are going to innovate and, and find new ways to um, 
for it to be useful. Um, well, did you see, have you looked at Twitter in the last couple of days? And did you see the link of the list of things Google Home can do now? No, you know what? I didn't. It's a, it's a million things it can do. Is that right? Okay. Well, you know what? We should, yeah. uh, we, we should go find that link and make sure that we post that with the show notes this week. Cause that would be, yeah. that would be of so, interest to a lot of people. You know, people. the Amazon Echo has like 20,000 skills, you know, and, and that's all fine and good and stuff. If you got, you know, really good high quality skills that you're using on a regular basis. And, you know, Google Home has a million things it can do. And from everything I've read, you know, the digital assistants, especially Google Home, were all over the place at the Consumer Electron Electron Electronics Show in Vegas last week. Right. Yeah, which we haven't really talked about. Um, yeah. But uh, maybe we will next week. Uh, but anyways, it's so but, but back to this humanware thing. Um, what's your what's your take on that? I mean, do you, is is do you think that is kind of unusual that that a bug like that got past them? It's hard to say whether or not it was a bug or or something in the GPS it's, itself. They're using a new mapping system now. They're using TomTom Maps, and before they were using maps from Navtech, I believe. So maybe it was a mapping issue. Um, I, I don't know what the issue was, but, you know, they've been doing Trekker and Trekker Breeze and Trekker Maestros for years and years and years. Yeah. So you would have thought this would have been caught, but maybe it was something that was unavoidable. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you know, again, with, with HumanWare's track record, uh, you know, I don't think it's going to be long before they, they squash that bug and and the, the device is going to work like it's it's supposed to. So I wouldn't worry too much about that. You know, they've, they've got a long, you know, sort of pedigree with, with GPS. So, and they, then usually their stuff is, is pretty rock solid. So uh, I would just hang in there and, uh, and uh, keep your ear to the ground. And I'm sure that a, a fix is, is pending. It is. So, in fact, maybe we should make note of that. And, uh, you know, once we hear, once we hear anything, um, we should, we should actually let people know. We can do that. Now, is that going to be an update? Is that going to be an automatic update, or is that something that they're going to have to actually uh, update from their unit? Uh, I think the unit updates uh, over the Internet. So if your device is connected to the Internet, it should just come over the air. So one day, probably, you're going to turn it on, and it's just going to work. Yep. And if you haven't, subscribe to HumanWare's you know, uh, email list, because they'll probably announce it there, too, when it does get released. Yeah, absolutely. All right, uh, moving on. Hey, Ryan, uh, what the heck are we doing today? Today we are talking with a gentleman who is or was an ambassador for the Rick Hansen Foundation by the name of Ryan Sturgeon. Another Rick Hansen ambassador. I'm excited. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I was looking at the article he wrote in May of last year, I think it was, and you know, I was going through some of the things he described that people with, you know, disabilities and mental health kind of go through. And I was checking them off going, that's me, that's me, that's me. And so I think it'll be an inter interesting discussion. Did yeah. you see that article? Yeah, I did. I, I, um, I did go over it and uh, it was really interesting. And it kind of brings to light, I think, um, Things that I don't know I, aren't really talked about. I mean, mental health in general, I I feel has has a stigma attached to it still, even though it really shouldn't. Um, and I think that that you know people with disabilities you know already feel sensitive about 
you know, identifying um, their, you know, sort of their main disability. And then when you, when you sort of tack on some mental health issues as well, it can become almost overwhelming, I'm sure. So uh, it's, it's going to be interesting to talk to somebody who, who deals with it on a daily basis and try to shed some light on, you know, just, just how people can get the help that they need. And I, and I think that's key, you know, being able to recognize that you need help and reach out and, and get it. Because like I said, when I was going through the, the list of, you know, factors that people face, you know, um, I pretty much checked all of them off. And that, you know, probably said to you, well, that explains Ryan's attitude. <laughs> <laughs> I, knew, I wasn't going to say anything. That was Mr. Cowbell. No wonder saying. he's a cranky bugger. <laughs> But but it is interesting. I mean, it also like I remember hearing you know you telling us stories about about when you first had your accident and you and you lost your sight and that whole process that you go through. I mean, that's an incredible journey mentally uh, for somebody, and can and it can be you know so hard and so difficult. Um, remember when we talked to um, Maria from Girl Gone Blind, and she you know described what it was like losing her vision you know in her 40s and just how despondent and and the level of depression she she suffered from um yeah it it can be overwhelming trying to deal with that plus dealing with the actual disability so well and i would think too it's probably no different than having an addiction like you know it it's a lifelong struggle you know i i still take antidepressants you know, and I still have mood changes and I'm, I'm not as angry as I used to be. You know, that first year of dealing with total blindness was the toughest, but it's going to be a struggle for the rest of my life. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's way past overdue. I mean, we've been trying to get somebody on to talk about uh, mental health and, and disability for quite a while now. So I'm, I'm really pleased that we managed to, to bring someone on that, uh, that can talk about it. Yep, looking forward to it. So, well, you don't have to look forward too much longer because uh, I think we should just go ahead and bring them on. All right, let's do it. Ryan Sturgeon has a bachelor's degree in science. He's got a master's degree in counseling psychology, and he currently works as a community mental health worker. He is also an ambassador at the Rick Hansen Foundation, uh, who we're always excited to talk to. All right. Glad to be here. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, we've been we've been sort of anxious to talk to somebody um, about mental health and uh, disability. So uh, we really appreciate you taking the time out of your Sunday to, to chat with us. No problem. I'm glad to be here. And I think it is a topic that needs uh, maybe a little more attention. Yeah, mm-hmm. abs- absolutely. I mean, we were talking a little bit about that before we, we came on. Um, you know, it's just... Well, you know what? Let's let's just start. Let's just start and then dive right into the topic. Um, <laughs> um, how did you get involved in uh, mental health and disability? Well, that's a, a long story. I've been involved in mental health for probably about between ten and fifteen years now, and the start of my mental health career was actually because of my own disability. To be honest, uh, in, in part, anyway, um, I had broken my uh, neck and back when I was 16 years old. And at that point in time, I was having a quite a difficult time uh, adjusting and things like that to uh, life uh, 
after breaking my neck and back. And I found it was helpful to talk to others and helpful to actually share my message with others as well. And then I, I thought maybe I can help some other people going through similar type things or through something that had happened um, that had caused a disability or people with disabilities in general. And so I guess it kind of fit naturally for me. Now, do you find that that's, that's a really common thread with um, mental health and disability in the sense that a lot of times, you know, there'll be an accident or, or there'll be like sort of ongoing vision loss that sort of happens gradually. Um, and that can really have a, a huge impact on, on mental health in general. Is that, is that fairly common? Yeah, I think it's more common than we talk about. I think that mental health and disability do kind of ha go hand in hand a little bit in that a lot of the same things that cause uh, a lot of the mental health concerns that we might have, such as depression or maybe anxiety, also have a common thread with disability. Because if we start talking about things like a person's employment, for example, employment can be a source of, of esteem for people, but it can also be a source of problems if if you're underemployed or unemployed, and it can be one of those pillars of health that really highly affects our mental health as well. So you take a look at a person that has a disability, they may have trouble a little more so finding employment. I mean, after I broke my neck, I wasn't sure what I was going to do at that point in time. I had to change my whole life plan. Yeah, and that's just one example. There are many other examples too, like uh, let's talk about uh, social inclusion and things like that. How difficult it is for somebody to maybe get out at times in the winter or whatever, if they're in a wheelchair, they find themselves a little more isolated. And the more you find yourself isolated and unable to be around people, unable to do some of those things that you like to do, it makes it really hard on a person's mental health, definitely. And, and those are just two small examples, and I can keep going. It seems to me that trauma like that, like say trauma over an accident, and, and Ryan's, a, Ryan's a great example. I mean, Ryan, why don't you go ahead and step in and, and tell, tell Ryan, Ryan too, <laughs> you know, a little bit about, about your experience, because I mean, I think your experience is, is fairly typical. Yeah. In reading, you know, your bio, Ryan, and the article you wrote last May, you know, I, I lost my sight totally in a car accident when I was 23. And so, you know, going through the article you wrote, I, I was checking off the items, anger. Yes. Depression. Yes. Um, not wanting to be out in public very much. Yes. All these factors that you associate with mental health or even just people with a disability and having to reevaluate your life. Like you, I was outgoing. I was mountain biking and skiing and snowboarding and doing all these things. And then this traumatic mm -hmm. event happened and now I can't do that or not the same way I used to do that. So it's, you're right. It's, it's past time we talked about mental health in, in and of itself, but the whole disability aspect of it, I think just, you know, multi multiplies it by factors. Absolutely. I, I would agree with that. And, as you mentioned, you, you were outgoing and you had uh, sight at the time and, and the time that you lost your sight, that's a huge, huge loss. And so sometimes with people with disabilities, you'll find that they do suffer that, that loss as well. And that loss can compound things because you find, yeah, you're 
do some things that you may have wanted to do or been able to do before. And for me, that was a lot of the things that I was able to do and, and enjoyed involved running and sports and being out with people and being just very active. And I found it very, very hard when I was unable to do some of those things that I considered important in, in my life and then that were kind of made up me, you know. So, again, I lost part of my identity as well. Yeah, agreed. And yeah. It, and, it, and it must be hard, I'm sure, to when when mental health in and of itself is is already stigmatized in society and you know to some degrees uh, a lot of people feel that disability is as well i mean you have people who are let's say low vision and they're actually kind of almost scared to identify as someone with low vision and they sort of try to fake it to because because they feel like well that's the people are going to hold that against me or they or they feel almost ashamed of it when they shouldn't it's kind of double stacked on them. And it, that's got to be a, a huge weight on somebody. Yeah, I, I do think there's a certain stigma attached to both still. Unfortunately, I, I think it's getting better. But with mental health, how many people want to go out and admit they have depression or anxiety or things of that nature? And then, and those disabilities, because the, the, they can be disabilities as well in and of themselves. And then when you kind of have a, a physical disability or something as well on top of that, I think it's maybe even harder. You have a physical disability that other people could probably see and they can, you don't feel maybe included all the time. You don't feel places are accessible for you or things are accessible. And so that's, that's kind of stigmatizing in itself a little bit. And then you have this, this hidden disability. Maybe you have depression at the same time or anxiety or or some other form of mental health concern. And so I think definitely it puts another barrier up for people. Well, and I think, you know, I was mentioning to Rob before we started the show, how I think having a traumatic event like an accident or, you know, a life-changing event and, and, and having depression or anger or, you know, some of the other aspects that come along with that are almost like an addiction. You know, for me, losing my sight at 23, I, I've, you know, personally, I've been on antidepressants since then. I, I still take them now. I have trouble sleeping. I've been diagnosed with sleep apnea. You know, all these factor into your well-being, let alone, you know, the disability part of it or the mental illness part of it. it it's a package. And like Rob says, it just kind of com compounds it. I, I would definitely agree with that. It, it certainly does compound it. Now, like, and, and it, what, what makes it, I think, even worse is that sometimes the, the actual disability feeds into feelings of, say, for example, isolation. Like, you know, if you're, if you're newly, you know, sort of losing your vision, automatically, just physically, you, you, you're going to feel more isolated um, and that's just going to carry over into your mindset, which is, is going to feed into, say, depression or, I, I mean, what, what kind of common things do you have sort of in your toolkit, Ryan, that, that you use to sort of help people work through those feelings? No, I think you're talking to me. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. I'm sorry. Yeah. We're going to, yeah. That, that's tough. We got both... Uh... Both Ryan's, but that is a very good question. And what, what tools can you use in a toolbox? I mean, I don't think there's any 
any magic uh, kind of cure in a sense that there isn't something that's one size fits all for for mental health necessarily. There are some common things that that can be very very helpful for people, absolutely. And I think it it's it starts with some of the I, I sometimes tell people it's the the common sense things, but sometimes common sense isn't common practice, and that's just things that'll buffer off the stress sometimes. So making sure you're concerning yourself with eating right, you know, and, and that sounds funny, but a lot of people when they get stressed out or when they're upset, they don't eat well and your body probably needs it more at that point in time. Then again, another one is, is just sleeping well. I always say too, um, having the ability to connect with others, but like you said, sometimes it's hard to connect with others. So finding a way, even when you're somewhat isolated to connect with people, we're social animals and we considered in the RHA a, a key pillar of health in that we find people that don't have social connection, if they're socially isolated, they actually have a higher mortality rate. Like it is a very important part of health and it's a very important part of our, our mental health as well. So that can be a big thing too. Um, one of the things I mentioned in, the, in that uh, blog was I, I said that keeping busy can be very helpful for people as well. So one of the things that I, I talk to people about sometimes in my day-to-day -day practice is looking at if they're feeling depressed or anxious even, trying to get out more, do more things, have more routine in their life. Sometimes that involves getting a volunteer position. Sometimes that involves just even doing more leisurely activities, doing things that they enjoy more. But either way, it involves trying to add more into your life. Basically, putting more stuff to do in your time so you're not sitting up around and able to spend that time thinking or dwelling on different things. So the other thing that I would tell people is really helpful is actually um, if you can get out or even inside the home doing something that's a little bit more active, getting up and exercising, getting off that couch, doing something because inevitably a person feels better when they've done some exercise. It's released a lot of good chemicals in our, in our mind and our bodies and they, they stimulate those happy feelings and things like that. So getting up and doing some exercise, we actually find for depression, for example, exercise, if you look at the different research that's been done, can be as effective, if not more effective, than antidepressants actually for um, doing for helping with depression. And that's they, they looked at doing exercise only three times a week in the, in the studies that I took a look at. And so exercise is really, really, really huge for sure. Oftentimes, two people find if they're able to do something for other people, they, they feel a lot better. So helping others, giving back to your community in some way. So volunteering almost fits a few different spots because it gets you busy, gets you out more. And on top of it, it, it helps you give back to others and things like that. If motivation is a factor for people, I often say I like the uh, three-minute rule. And that means get up try to do something for three minutes. If at that time you don't want to do it any longer, if you need to get back down on the couch or whatever, allow yourself to sit back down. But if by chance you feel a little bit better or whatever, after you've kind of rated how you feel getting up and doing something, then feel free to continue on a little bit. And sometimes just looking at things in smaller intervals, say three minutes, like I'm just going to go clean for three minutes. I'm just going to go take a walk for three minutes. That is a lot less overwhelming then I'm going to clean the whole basement or I'm going to go for a walk for the next 20 minutes or for a mile or whatever the case is. So doing something, breaking it down into smaller pieces like that and using that three minute rule kind of helps people motivate themselves a lot of times too.
Yeah, I mean, I can I can see how it can be really overwhelming. I mean, and that's part of part of the the nature of the beast when you're dealing with things like, um, say, depression, for example. Little, even the littlest things can seem so overwhelming. So being able to sort of break it down into little chunks like that and just, you know, push through three minutes. Uh, yeah, I could see how that could really sort of help manage that. And I think, I think too, sorry, Ryan, I was just going to say, you know, looking at my own life story, you know, breaking things down and having realistic expectations of, you know, your situation where you're at at that current place in time, you know, when I first lost my sight, I tried to go bowling again. I tried going to batting cages and I just quit because I wasn't as good as I used to be. And, you know, you have to break those down into smaller segments and, and look at the successes as they come. Instead of, like you say, I'm going to tackle the basement. Let's start with the coat closet or let's go for a three minute walk instead of the half mile walk. Yeah, for sure. I think it's really important. A lot of people set themselves up for almost, in a sense, failure when they set those goals really, really high. So, yeah, it does involve reassessing things. But I think reframing, too, you made a good point. I know for myself, I was big into the gym before. I loved going out and working out and doing things to the gym. And then after I hurt myself, going back to the gym, it wasn't very much fun because I found a lot of the things that I used to do I couldn't do any longer, or even if I could do them, I was pushing so little weight that it was, I had this expectation that I could go back and do some of those things, and I, I certainly couldn't. So again, absolutely, you're, you're completely right. Yeah, and I think, I think motivation, we, I think you, like you addressed it, motivation is, is one of the biggest factors that, you know, we all face, whether disabled or not, you know, just getting up off the couch. There's There's so much stuff bombarding us now with tv smartphones social media you know it's it's easy to stay on the couch <laughs> now do you find that in some cases people may not even realize that they they have um say depression um because it can kind of be a bit of a, a hidden uh, you know, a hidden illness where people are just like, well, you know what, I, I just, I just worry a lot, or I just, I just have trouble sleeping. Or do you find that, that that's the case a lot? I do find that certainly at times people don't uh, recognize the symptoms. It's harder when it's yourself you're talking about, you know, you can kind of recognize with other people sometimes, but when you're living it, it's a little bit different. You, you just, kind of going from that moment to moment and not taking and putting all the pieces together like somebody else would. Somebody else might say, wow, you know, I haven't seen you around in a while. You've been really staying home a lot. Wow, you know, you've really been sleeping a lot lately. But for you, it's I'm tired today, so I'm sleeping today. And you may not take the whole picture into consideration. So I do see people quite a bit that when I mentioned to them, these are some of the symptoms of depression. And I say, have you ever considered if you're depressed? Some of them just are mind blown there. They think, wow, you know, maybe I am depressed or anxious or whatever the case is. Maybe I, yeah, I just thought that's just the way things were, but yeah. they, they don't recognize that those are symptoms of actually sometimes a, a bigger problem. And I mean, it's only a problem if it starts to interfere with your life and, and your day-to-day -day, uh, activities and things like that. But 
absolutely. People often don't recognize it right away. It's loved ones and family members that do. Could you give us an idea of what some of the symptoms maybe of depression are to look for? Oh, for sure. I can kind of go through what uh, the DSM would tell you, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual for Mental Health Disorders. I pretty much know it off the top of my head. I work with people lots, and that's what a psychiatrist would use to diagnose somebody. One of the big things that you see with depression, and this is uh, one of the characteristics that people identify with right away, is the low mood. But it's not just a, a low mood because everybody has a low mood sometimes. It's a low mood all day, every day, for most days of the week, for most days of the month, for up three months. And it has to be at least three months long to be considered a depression. The other thing that you can consider would be uh, with the low mood, either no interest in activities any longer that you once enjoyed or just complete lack of enjoyment. So that can be another big thing too, is just that lack of enjoyment piece. So both of those things can be seen. And then you have smaller things that go with those. So once you have that low mood or, or the non-enjoyment activities, person starts to oftentimes notice that they're not sleeping the same as they once did. So they'll either sleep more often, you know, like they find they're sleeping 12, 14 hours in a day, having naps, that kind of thing, or they just really can't sleep. There's a change also in their appetite. They uh, find they don't want to eat very much anymore, or they're eating like the junk food, coping kind of foods, or maybe they, they don't, they're just don't want to eat at all kind of thing. And so you find that uh, they're either gaining weight or losing weight. Um, memory and concentration are often affected too. Again, you see a change from, from normal where they're probably unable to think as well as they once did. So their concentration goes down, focus goes down. Oftentimes they start to isolate themselves more. They have less energy. Um, they find that they might even be thinking about death or dying or suicide. That is very common with depression as well. And I guess it depends. Sometimes with a guy, you may notice more irritability. I mean, women as well, but guys sometimes show a lot more irritability rather than as, as much sadness, but that can also be a big sign of depression as well. So those are the, the real key ones when it comes to depression. Sometimes you notice actually people physically slow down too. They kind of you know, hang their head low and talk really slowly and that sort of thing. So they actually physically get slowed down, whereas some people get a little more agitated, and that's almost like the irritable kind of stuff. Right. So now on the other end then, um, which it would be sort of anxiety or panic attacks, is, is that a little bit easier to spot? Well, I think the person that's experiencing anxiety probably can recognize it a little bit quicker, I think, because they know a little bit more that they're avoiding things. They have experienced an increased worry, and especially if they've ever had a panic attack, they certainly know that they've had a panic attack or they know that something's wrong. Oftentimes they actually end up going to the emergency room thinking they may have experienced a heart attack or something along the lines of a heart attack because it can feel quite like a heart attack when a person has this panic attack and they're breathing gets so so rapid and they start experiencing tightness across their chest and everything like that and numb and tingly in their hands. And so they may actually experience it and figure they might have a heart attack, but they certainly recognize that something's wrong. You do have people once in a while that, that don't recognize as well because they, they may 
not really see the physical symptoms. They don't really think about their thoughts as, as often, so they don't notice that they're worrying, but they, they do experience some of the physical stuff. And if they're experiencing these physical sensations without putting any thought to them, they may not recognize it as worry as much, but it's not as common not to recognize the, the anxiety, although it has happened, of course. And, and how, does, how does the anxiety actually work? Now, is it, is it usually like a specific trigger that, that triggers the anxiety, or can it just sort of pop up out of nowhere? Well, I, I suppose people could have panic attacks pretty much out of, out of the blue, out of nowhere, but I really believe a lot of times people have a, at least a thought that starts to, to spur things up. And whether they recognize that thought at the time or not, there's a, a thought that goes on that then starts to trigger things, and then they go into that kind of fight-or-flight response and have a panic attack, yeah. So what would you tell people, because I feel like a lot of times people who may be going through, say, depression or maybe going through um, anxiety or panic attacks may not know immediately where they can turn to go for help. What would you tell them? Well, I, one of the things I would tell them is good for you for looking for help, for one, because I think that actually shows a sign of strength and a sign of bravery because we there is some stigma attached to it, and I think it is hard to seek help, hard to ask, and hard to go places. So definitely first thing I would say is, is good for you, and you're much stronger and braver for it. Then I think one of the areas where you could start to look is like your family doctor, because family doctors often can point you in the right direction. They can get you to a mental health professional. Now, in Manitoba, we have different mental health teams than, than maybe other places do, but we have the public system, which has mental health workers, which you can go and see. And a lot of places do have a mental health worker attached to, say, family doctors and so forth. And then you also have private sector people, so people working in counseling and in private. You could also look through your employer if you're employed. If you're employed, you probably have some kind of program. You might not know about it, but you can ask your employer, and it's all confidential, so they can't, um, they can't really know what's going on or anything like that. And in, in my employment, it's called EAP, the Employment Assistance Program, and you get free counseling sessions as well. So those are a few of the areas you can look. Nowadays, too, it's a lot of times just a click away if you just Google it even. Google your, your employment and, and your benefits. You can find out about the counseling there. You can get online counseling even. And what would you say is sort of the biggest hurdle to really sort of overcome the stigma that, that has been attached to mental illness for you know, years and years? Well, I think the biggest hurdle, <laughs> I think we're all our own worst enemies, to be honest. I believe that, you know, we think it can't happen to us or, you know, I, we're afraid to admit it to somebody else, what it's going to look like or how it's going to affect us. Or I, I really do think, though, a lot of it is our own, our own um, thoughts and stuff that really prevent us from going forward. And we're, we're really just hard on ourselves, you know, like we don't want to admit it. And we're probably the hardest on ourselves out of anybody else in the world. And so to, to admit that there's something wrong and to, to do that, it, it can be really, really difficult for someone. So I, I really think that's the biggest barrier. I'm not sure if I explained that as well as I would have liked, but I, I do think that's a huge barrier. 
Well, and I mean, especially when the nature of the illness is you're not you're not going to be thinking straight. You're not you're not it doesn't allow you to really to really have the resources to actually dig yourself out of it mm -hmm. or look at it in an objective manner. Uh, it probably doesn't certainly doesn't help the case. Yeah. And I mean, some of the cliches, you know, guys don't cry and stuff like that, or that you may hear or experience also affect the way we think about it. So it's kind of society in and of itself, the way we've grown up. And it's not just guys. I'm, I'm just thinking that might be one of them. You know, if you're a guy, it might be even harder to ask for help at times because of that. And we do find that guys do have a little bit harder time asking for help. And sometimes to certain professions, like if a person's in a, a very masculine profession or even uh, something like farming, you find that those communities, they find it harder to ask for help. You know, they think they have more of a, a reliance on their own independence and a pride and, and self-worth and whatever else that they don't believe they should ask for help or could. And so that is a huge barrier for, for services for a lot of people. Now, do you find that sort of the, the you know, the onset of, of social media and the communities within those, has that helped a lot in, in terms of being able for people, especially people with disabilities, for them to go somewhere, not feel so isolated and to, to go and participate in that community? <laughs> yes and no. And the reason I say yes and no is because I think it's a double-edged sword. I absolutely think that people can have a lot of benefit by going on and finding people that are similar. You know, it's, it's really helpful to know somebody's been kind of where you've been or can at least empathize and, and understand some of what you're going through. And that can be hugely therapeutic. And it's those people too, that if they provide you any feedback, you're certain to listen. But I think the problem is not to, to just solely rely on that and not to get caught up on, on social media as much either, because people that if you're spending a lot of time just on social media and, and not out places, that's also not as mentally healthy either. I think it can be kind of a trap, you know, you, you feel good for a moment while you're on whatever social media you're on, but then it doesn't have like the lasting effect. Like let's take a look at, for example, if you're out doing something like a uh, rock climbing, if you, if you're, if you're a rock climber or whatever, or even out just exercising, you don't feel as great doing it and it takes a lot more motivation to do, but afterward you're left with a feeling that's a lot different than after you, you are on your smartphone. Right. Yeah. Cause as soon as you look at when you, as soon as you turn your smartphone off or turn your computer off, you know, there, that there goes your community. So yeah, I, I could understand mm -hmm. that. Yeah. And that's why I think it's just kind of a double-edged sword. So I do think it's, it's really beneficial for them to, get involved with communities and stuff online, but also to try to still get involved with other things outside of that computer as well, if, if at all possible, for sure. I think, you know, being able to recognize that you may have uh, an issue related to depression, anxiety, um, you know, mental illness, as, as wide a definition of a word as that is, um, being able to recognize that and take the steps to face it head on, um, as scary as it is, um, 
like like you said, Ryan, after that rock climbing experience, you have a feeling of accomplishment. You have a feeling that you're making progress, that you're you're contributing again to society or to your social group of friends. Um, you know, you have that feeling of acceptance. Um, you know, you have you have to take that first step, and without doing that, you're not making any headway, and you're not doing yourself any favors. Well, the one thing I was thinking was, you know, how common mental health concerns are. And I, I think it's nice to frame it as mental health, but because we all have mental health, right? It's a thing that everybody has. But to have a mental health concern that that would categorize and fit into the cl classification as an actual illness is a lot more common than people would think. It's one in five people. And some would even say one in four now. And so that's a lot of people that experience a mental health problem and it's important to know how common it is so you're not so isolated so you don't feel like it's, it's just me and that there is other people that experience that sort of stuff too you know it's very very common is, is just one of the things i really wanted to to highlight for sure yeah you know it's interesting you know when you when you when you frame it like that when you frame it with mental health and physical health i mean nobody feels ashamed when they have the flu and, you know, they're and they have a physical health, you know, issue. The same thing should be for mental health. I mean, sometimes your mind has a cold and you need to go and you need to take care of it. And and it shouldn't shouldn't have that stigma attached to it. Yeah, I, I think there is still some stigma attached to it. And I'm really hoping by educating people the whoever would, would do the educating i guess government or whoever but by educating people we'd be able to you know decrease some of that stigma a little bit because you do see it sometimes even when people talk about mental health or mental illness like why don't you just get over it you know just yeah. just think yourself out of that depression and that's akin to saying why don't you just get over your cancer just think yourself out of it yeah right i mean do you do you think that that maybe they should teach mental health sort of in the schools like teach early that that what to look for and that it isn't you know a, something to be ashamed of i really do i really think they should have some education right off and that way people aren't lost when they find themselves in the situation because let's face it everybody is affected by mental health if it's one in five people that's that's everybody that's somebody in your family that's your neighbor that's your friend and so it does affect everybody, and then we're not so lost. But I really think that schools also should focus on resiliency. So not just the mental illness piece of things, but actually resiliency, creating and fostering resilient children to be able to keep going when something happens, you know, and, and to be able to do some of those things that, that are good for you when you're feeling down and low and, and depressed and that sort of thing. So for one, recognizing that, that being down and low is is okay and then two what can you do for yourself when you feel that way right right there you go ryan or ryan my ryan yeah i know i gotta get motivated that's right and we need to go save the world we need to get this stuff in the schools <laughs> <laughs> anything that you wanted to uh, mention or plug or uh, a twitter feed or a, a facebook page anything at all yeah right away I'm just getting a new website up and going, actually, and it's kind of exciting for me. And so within the next week, hopefully, I should be up and going, and people can go take a look. 
for www.brandon, B-R-A-N-D-O-N, wheelchairsports.ca. And that's a, a group that I've started here in uh, Brandon, Manitoba. And we're starting to do a lot of different wheelchair sports. There hasn't been much for people here. It's a, a smaller community of about 60,000 people. So there hasn't been much here. But I'm trying to, to make a few changes and trying to bring more. We're already doing curling right now. I have about eight people on a curling team. And we're now starting to meet every uh, Thursday. And so I think that that's, if anybody's interested in knowing more about some of the wheelchair sports and things like that, check out the webpage. There'll be some contact information there too. Feel free to contact me. And I know even if you're not around my area, you can always contact me and just ask me about the experience that I've had with wheelchair sports and that sort of thing. So, Ryan, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, we really appreciate you taking time out of your Sunday to, to chat with us. Thank you guys so much. Okay. Thank you. Ryan. Take care. Take care for sure. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah. It's, you know, one of those topics where you could, you know, we, we just barely scratched the surface, right? There's so many avenues you can branch off of when you, you, you think about the word mental health or mel- mental illness. It's not even, you know, the disability part of it. It's addictions. It's social socialization. It's, it's all of that, right? It's all encompassing. Yeah, it's, and it, it, you're right. There is so many issues. I mean, and we only really touched on, you know, depression and anxiety, but, you know, the list goes on and on in, in the things that can um, manifest. I think the important thing to take away from this whole conversation, though, is that people really need to, to approach mental health in a different way and, and look at it without a stigma. It, it needs to be just treated just like, uh, a physical, uh, physical health. Um, yeah. And, you know, illness. take that first step, look at yourself in the mirror and, and just ask yourself, uh, you know, a couple simple questions, you know, like Ryan said, am I sleeping? Am I eating? Am I becoming introverted? You know, am I, is, is my daily activities, have they changed over the last week, month? If so, you know, let's, let's address that because you're not alone. You're not alone, and there's absolutely no shame in, in you yeah. know, having having those uh, problems. It happens to us all. Agreed. So, I, you know, I see that as, as sort of the main... It's an attitude shift, I think, that, that mainly needs to, to happen. Um, and, you know, the resources are all there for people, and they just, they just need to not feel... Um, they, they need to not feel self-conscious about turning for help. Well, and you look at, you know, TV and radio, you know, the last, I don't know, four or five years, you know, you're seeing more and more commercials on dealing with mental health issues. So, you know, maybe attitudes are changing, you know, coming around slowly. And, you know, people are starting to recognize that this is an epidemic, yeah, and an epidemic, uh, you know, not a, not in a, a horrible way. Not that all of a sudden, like people are just, you know, um, suffering from depression more so than any other any any time before. Right. It's just that we're we're starting to actually take it seriously and actually diagnose people and treat the the issue, which is yeah. a good thing. Which is a good thing. The more people talk about it, and and the more people. 
uh, address it, the, the, the better overall health they're going to be. You know, I also thought, you know, was thinking that, you know, that's, this is why, and as, as much as I kind of crap on sports in general, I do have to admit that from the sounds of it, team sports is just one of the most perfect antidotes for say depression or anxiety because it 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 checks all the boxes you have a community you're getting out you're getting you know exercise you have that feel of accomplishment that you have after you've played a game of whatever it is um it's you know it it's it's sort of ideal so it's it's kind of interesting that that ryan is out there uh we you know starting up a, a wheelchair league yeah, and I'm sure if you were to talk to anybody with any disability who, you know, was into sports before their disability and, you know, got back into it afterwards, whether it be if you're blind goalball or if you're paraplegic wheelchair basketball or curling, you know, sure, they're not doing things the same way. They're adapting the way they do them, yet they're still involved. They're still included. They're still accomplishing. They're still you know, socializing you know, they still have those endorphins that are being released. And, and that's what it's all about. Hey, Ryan. Rob. Where can people find us? They can find us online at www.atbanter.com. They can also email us if they so desire, just like Bob did, atbanterpodcast at gmail.com. And we will read your email on the air if you would like us to. If not, let us know. No, actually, we'll read it despite whether or not... <laughs> no, I guess if you were to put in the put in your email, please do not read this. We'll respect that. We'll respect that, that but yes. I'm assuming that anyone who writes us actually wants to, their, their 10 seconds of internet fame. Yep, they got something to say. So where else can people find us? They can find us at Twitter. We are AT underscore banter. And they can find us on Facebook, AT Banter. You can also find Steve, uh, not here, but uh, you can find Canadian Assistive Technology at www.canastech.com uh, for all of, of your assistive technology retail needs and for all your assistive technology servicing needs you can contact Mr. Rick Chant uh, at www.chaostechnicalservices.com. And uh, I think that's it. <laughs> I uh, think you should just leave it like that. And uh, I think that's it. I think so. <laughs> Man, what is going on? It's these four o'clock Sunday afternoons not being in the same room show. I guess so. I guess so. Woo. All right. Well, that is going to do it for us this week. I have been Rob Minot. I've and been I've been Ryan Fleury. And we'll see you next time. <laughs> This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H.com. Or call us toll-free at 1-844-795-8324. 
For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com. Music provided by bensound.com.